Hey, welcome back to the Road.TV Sermon Podcast, where today, Pastor Rick wraps up our series, Before and After, with a message entitled, After It's Over. Uh, Pastor Rick's going to speak from his experience on navigating the grief after loss. The reality is, all marriages will end. Listen in as Pastor Rick reflects on the healing and trusting in God's plan for restoration. Buckle up for this very personal message and make sure you share this with someone who needs hope of restoration. All right, if you're joining us online, thank you uh, for making uh, the road your choice of place to worship online with us. And uh, if you're here or online, grab a Bible or something you can read God's Word from. We're in Genesis 23 today, Genesis 23. Uh, we've been in a series called uh, on marriage called Before and After. Uh, we started with uh, a message about laying a, a solid foundation because there are just some decisions that are easier to make before you get married. And that, ser- that message was called Before You Say I Do. Uh, then Matthew led us in a message about how to c- continue to pursue God after you're married, after you say I do. And then last week we looked at a, a pretty tough uh, message of, about uh, before you say I quit. Some, just some check marks, some, some things to make sure that are true before you quit on your marriage. And today's the last message. Uh, this is after it's all over. And if you are here and you are married, uh, you will find application in this passage as we talk about uh, what do you do when it's all over. So grab your Bible. We're going to read Genesis 23. We're going to read through verse 9. Then we're going to skip to verse 16, read through verse 20. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These are the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kidrith Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from before his dead, and he spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and approach Ephraim, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in in your presence for a burial site. Skip to verse 16. Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out to Ephraim the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephraim's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field in the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field and all that were within the confines of its border were deeded over uh, to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave in the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that it is in were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site. By the sons of Heth. This is a really interesting passage, and uh, it may not seem that way to you at first, but there are a number of things that happen for the first time uh, in this passage. Uh, This gives us the first look at what a man goes through when he loses his wife in all of Scripture. There's only one other place that I'm aware of that it's even talked about. Uh, When a man loses his wife, Sarah is the first woman in all of Scripture whose death is mentioned and the only woman whose age is given when her death is mentioned, 127 years old. And then we get to Abraham. 
um, there's this picture of Abraham grieving, and the Scripture says that he wept. Okay, the first record of a man crying in all of Scripture. Now, I want you to pause for that and think about what has happened already in Scripture. There was the fall. There were probably some tears that went with Adam and Eve when God said, you're out of the garden and here's the curse of sin, but it's not recorded. There was the flood. No tears recorded. But you get to a man at the death of his wife, wife, and the Bible talks about his tears. First time ever. And that phrase that is used there in the Hebrew language indicates that uh, Abraham went through the typical mourning process that a man would have. So that's what, this is what that looks like. He would have gone in where his wife, Sarah's body was laid, and he would have taken a knife, and he would have cut off his beard. He would have reached down, he would have picked up a handful of ashes, and he would have put them on his head. He would have grabbed his garment, and he would have torn his garment. That was the sign that let everybody who saw you know you're grieving. And he would have stayed with that body and wept until the time of grieving was over. This is crazy. Abraham was incredibly rich by this time, but he owned nothing. Zero. Didn't have a piece of land anywhere. The first piece of land Abraham purchased was to bury his wife on. A number. A number of first. And then there's this, this, this hope. So where, where do you bury people you love? Well, you're from Oklahoma, you go home, right? Uh, take them back to the old home place and, and bury them. But Abraham didn't do that. He had to take her back to the Ur of Chaldeans. He didn't do that. Never even crossed his mind to go back in the past. And he didn't go to the present. He went to the future. Listen to this. God had promised him the land of Canaan. Did you catch how many times? This passage of Scripture says he buried his wife in the cave at Machpelah, which is in Mamre, which is in Hebron, which is in... Canaan, watch this, hope. Even in the worst moment of life, hope. I'm basing this, that this land will be mine on the promises of God. We're going to talk about what you do when it's all over. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much that your grace is sufficient. Um, I pray for men and women who hurt for various reasons today um, because a, a marriage has ended either through a divorce or a death or maybe they lost somebody they loved. Or maybe, the Father, they have not dealt with the, the pain, the grief that goes with that. I pray that you'd guide us through this time and be gentle with us. Um, love us. Thank you for your patience with us. But more than anything, we do want to meet with you. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start with this truth, and I really need you to hear this. Every marriage will end. If you are married, look right here at me because I don't think I believe this about mine. Your marriage is going to end. And it's either going to end through a divorce or it's going to end through a death. But every person who's married, your marriage will end. So here's my first question for you. Now that you know it's going to end, what would you be doing differently because it's going to end? How would you be living differently? Because one of the things that haunted me about my marriage when it ended is, is I didn't really believe it would end and then it ended in a moment. And there were a lot of things I wish I had done. Well, what would you do if you knew? Because it is going to end and you know. What are you going to do? 
differently. And there's so much in our world that we do to get ready for marriage, right? You got premarital books and you got premarital classes and your church does stuff. And just everybody does something to help you get ready to get married. Nobody does anything to help you get ready for your marriage to end. There's no classes. One day your mate's going to die. What are you going to do? One day your mate may look at you and say, I'm done with you. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle that? How, how are you going to go on after that? Nothing helps us get ready. Listen for the most painful thing in life. When I was pastoring at First Baptist Hevener, uh, somebody was in the hospital. Don't even remember who it was, but I had an old deacon, my oldest deacon. His name was Curtis Norville. He said, Pastor, can I ride to the hospital with you? And we rode up there. And he began to tell me his life story as we rode. And, and Curtis had buried two wives. And I'm, I'm 30 years old. Now I'm listening to this guy, this old man, talk about burying two wives. And I'm like, how in the world did you do that? How did you, did you love two women and, and, and spend that lifetime with them and, and bury them both? And he looked across the car at me and he said, Pastor, living problems is harder than dying problems. And I had no earthly idea what he meant. Just shook my head, yeah. I was too young to understand what he meant. It wouldn't be until several years later that my own wife would die. She was 42 years old. I was 44. Uh, she died of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It was Memorial Day 2005. And we'd been to Ted's to eat and came home. We had three little kids and we went out in the backyard. And we were playing together and she ran across the backyard and I turned around and she was laying on the ground. And her hands had, had curled. And I ran to her and I, I looked at my oldest daughter. I said, get the phone and call 911. And we stood there around my wife while she died. I went to bed that night. Um, I woke up the next morning and I thought I'd had a bad dream. That none of this was real, but it was real. Uh, in the blink of an eye, I'd become the single father of three kids, 9, 10, and 12. And the hardest period of my life began... I went into a deep, dark hole called grief. And I want to talk to you about what grief looks like because no matter what you go through, make this jump, grief is the same. Grief is about dealing with the death of something, whatever it is. And the stages and the reactions are the same. Everybody's a little different, but we all deal with it. And my default emotion was anger. And so I'm immediately mad, and I'm mad because this happened to me. Why, why, why did this happen to me? Because in my mind, here, here was my life. I had a great job. I would have been retired and wealthy. And God said, I don't want you to do that job. I want you to go be a minister. So I said, okay, then you did this to me. You, you messed my life up when I'm trying my best to do what you want. And that doesn't make any sense to me. If you're powerful, you could have stopped it. If you loved me, you should have stopped it. But you didn't do anything. And nothing and, and a mad God. And here's what happens with anger. Once you get mad, it all trickles downhill. So not only was I mad at God, I was mad at everything that moved and breathed. If you were happily married, I couldn't stand you because I, I lost that. Show up at church, everybody's sitting around holding hands. Uh-uh. I tried to quit. Tried to find something else to do. And God wouldn't let me. And uh not only did death look like anger, but death looked like panic. Uh, I realized that moment taught me that I absolutely control nothing. 
Because I tried to stop death, and I couldn't. When my, uh, when my oldest son was a little baby, he'd cry real hard, and he'd pass out. And we go to the doctor, because this scared us to death, as this kid cries, and he just goes, bloop. And the uh, doctor said, just blow in his face. He'll come back. And, and so, so he passes out, and we're like, My wife dies, and I'm on the ground on my hands and knees blowing in her face trying to get her to breathe because I'm doing everything I know to do to not let death take her, did CPR, did everything, and, and yet what I found out was things can happen and they will happen, and I lived in panic that they would come back to my life, which led to fear, right? It led to fear. If this can happen to my wife, who else can it happen to? Will it happen to my kids? Every time the phone rings, I, I literally break out in a sweat. Every time the phone rings. When my oldest son turned 12 years old, he looked at me. And it's his birthday, and he's sitting on my couch, and he's crying. And he says to me, Daddy, promise me God will never do this again to us. And I said, I can't make that promise because I don't know. I don't know. And so I lived with the reality because bad things did happen to me that they can happen easily. Grief looked like anger and panic and, and fear, but it really looked like loneliness. I was abandoned. Um, my bed was cold and, and empty and I, I didn't get to look at my wife for the last time and go, babe, I love you. She was gone. There was no one to celebrate with. And there was no one to grieve with. And I was going through the hardest time in my life. Um, but time moved on. And, and the people here were good to me. And the community helped our family a lot. And helped me to survive as a single dad. And dust uh, must pass. And, and the dust of the chaos of my life began to settle. And my kids were playing sports. And uh, one of the ladies in the community, a young lady, beautiful lady, rich lady, owned her own business, not a follower of Jesus, just on the team we played on. And she said, I'm going to come by, I'll pick your kid up for, church, or for practice and bring him home just to give you a little break. And that night, she dropped my son off, and, and I went outside to say thanks. And uh, when I did, she looked at me, she said, well, I don't know how you're making it. And by now, things had settled down some in my life, and uh, I looked at her and I said, well, there's things harder than this. I said, my kids understand that their mama didn't have a choice. She didn't get to choose whether she stayed or went. She was taken. And that looks a lot different because this community is filled with kids who look at their mom and daddy and they say, you left me. You abandoned me. And she looked back at me as a single mom and she began to cry. Had everything in the world that would make a successful life, right? Beautiful, young rich, owned her own business, everything. And she began to weep, and she said this to me, and I will never forget it. She said, I lay in bed at night and pray that the man who did this to us will burn in hell. And I remembered what Curtis said to me. Living problems are harder than dying problems. I sunk into a hole um, that was really difficult for me to get out of, and I didn't know what to do when my marriage ended. And we're going to talk about that for just a minute. 
whether it's through a divorce or through death, there's some parallel paths that are walked. So here's the first thing. We learn to accept our pain and our loss. Um, man, again, I'm going to tell you this. Don't worry so much about writing stuff down, right? Uh, just, just listen. Don't miss, especially what I'm about to say now. Genesis 2.24 says that when a couple marries, two become one. Look at me and make sure you get it. Whether it's through a divorce or through death, the one ends. The one ends. And the grief is the same because the one never ends without pain. Somebody hurts. Because what God put together and made one ceases to exist. And what do you do? What do you do with that, that pain? Well, pain held on to will turn to anger and bitterness. Um, to fail to let go of pain will turn you into a bitter, angry, cynical person. I'm going to show you the world we live in. Be really careful with what I'm, I'm telling you. The world we live in is that people deal with their pain and they're wanting to move on so quickly that they take their bitterness, their cynicism, and their anger into the next relationship with them because they never dealt with it. They never grieved the death of the one. And so then it just keeps cycling. And you know someone who failed to let go of the hurt of their divorce or the pain of their loss of their mate. You may be related to them and they're just consumed with anger and consumed with bitterness. And there's nothing good in the world. So what do we do? Well, often we try to let go quickly. And listen to me, church. There will be good-meaning Christian people who will lose a mate and go, Well, it's okay. They're with Jesus. And try to make light of the death of the one. And that's just unhealthy. Um, and then there'll be people who maybe go through a divorce and was going, well, I wasn't happy anyway. No, that's just as unhappy as people who over-spiritualize everything in life. So what do you do when that one ceases to exist? You do what Abraham did. You grieve. You weep. You go through that journey because something significant ceased to exist. Grief is like love. Love takes a long, long time to grow. And grief takes a long time to unfold. So where do we find comfort? Where do we find hope in our grief? We find it from Jesus. So listen just a moment to, to what Jesus went through. Jesus knows our pain. And, and here's what happens when we go through anything significant in life that's associated with trauma or loss is we think we're the only person who feels this way. Nobody's ever felt like this. Nobody's ever had a loss like this. I'm the only person who's gone through a divorce and feels this way. I'm the only person who's lost a mate or a child or anything, and I, I feel this way, and it's just not true. There's those small things that are different, but the bottom line truth is Jesus knows what you feel like. You see, divorce is someone rejecting the love of another. Do you know Jesus felt like that? John 1.10 says that he came to his own and they did not receive him. Okay, so get the picture. He created them. He, he gave them everything they need. He left heaven. He came to earth as a man. He did everything he could to love us, them. And we look at that love and go, I just don't think I want it. It's not good enough for me. I want another love. 
Jesus knows what it's like to feel rejection. To have his love turned down. The scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Hebrews 2.17 says that he had to be made like this, brethren, his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, that he knew what we feel in our lives. He knew loneliness, he knew abandonment, he knew separation on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it feels like. He knows how, what it's like to be rejected and then not let that rejection turn to bitterness. Luke 23, 34, Jesus looked at the people he had created and watched the mouths that he had formed curse him. Hands that he had created beat him and drive nails into his body. And then he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And here's what happens to hate. And it happens so many times. You'll hate the one who hurt you and then you'll begin to hate the ones who might hurt you. Listen to me. You'll look at the man who hurt you, and soon you'll be hating every man who might hurt you. Or you'll look at the woman who hurt you, and you'll be hating every woman who might hurt you. Be careful. Pain left undealt with almost always turns to hate, bitterness, and cynicism. Which brings us to our next point. While we cannot change our reality, we can allow God to heal our reality. And I'm not sure what your reality might be today. It might be the loss of a mate through death. It could be a divorce. It could be a bad breakup. But I know what God desires to do today. God desires to bring healing to your life. Listen to this prophecy out of Isaiah 61. This is about the ministry of Jesus. The scripture says, The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted today? Things happened in your life that you felt like just were not fair. Psalm 147.3 says this. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Look right up here at me. God wants to heal your heart. He wants to make it right. But you have to let him heal your heart. So have you gotten to the place in your life or maybe because of the loss of a maid, a divorce, that you've looked at God and you said, God, would you just heal me? Would you heal my grief? Third truth. Take the time to get healthy. Uh, the deeper the hurt, the longer the healing. Um, my son, my youngest son played football. He was a junior and uh, he was setting up, it looked like, to have a really good year. Their first scrimmage, they go to Shawnee. He gets hit by a guy coming through the line and hyperextends his knee backwards. And uh, so we end up at the doctor's office and all the stuff that you go through. And the doctor said, look, dude, you're out six, eight weeks. And, you know, you're going to have to do rehab, all this stuff. One week from that doctor's appointment, he looks at me and says, I can do it. I'm ready. Ready to go back. I Put me in, coach. And... Uh, and yet, if you watched him, here, here, here's where he was. His heart wanted to be in the game, but his body wasn't ready. And you're going to go through the loss of a mate or a divorce, and here's where your heart will be. Your heart will be in the game, but you'll still be limping. You'll still be limping. You have to take the time to heal. 
Again, love takes a long time to grow. Grief takes a long time to unfold. So don't run to another relationship. And the last thing you need is to run and get involved with somebody else who's probably limping along too, right? And what you have is two people limping along in life together, and it's just not a pretty picture. Um, So the rule of thumb is this. Divorce or death, wait one year. Major relationship, I'll take it out further, wait one year. If you, if you break up in a major relationship, you don't need to be with anybody for one year. You go, that's a long time. Yeah, and divorce is really hard. It's really hard. Take the time to heal. Fourth truth, get your picker fixed. Um, We started this series uh, by making this point. I hope you wrote this down somewhere. Don't make decisions with your heart. Make decisions for your heart. Um, When you and I go through the loss of a mate, whether through death or divorce, loneliness and heartache can mess your picker up. It can mess your picker up. You'll want to be in a relationship because loneliness is horrible. So bad that you will not be able to see the things you need to see and make good choices about future relationships. Divorce, same thing, right? And you've seen this happen before. Someone gets divorced and they choose a new relationship and they're just like the person they divorced, right? I do this for a living. And so I've stood at the marriage ceremony and went, Dude, she looks just like the woman you left. She could be her sister. All right, I know. (laughs) So watch this, and you'll see the patterns. A woman chooses one unhealthy man, gets out of it, chooses another unhealthy man, gets out of it, chooses another unhealthy man. That's a broken picker. That's a broken picker. A man gets out of one relationship with one kind of woman, chooses the same woman again, and you know it's destined, it's doomed. You got a broken picker. So what do you do? Well, the scripture says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it will be given to him. So we ask for wisdom. I don't want a broken picker anymore. I want to make better choices. From a practical standpoint, if you are single at all, you should set a spiritual safety net up in your life. What is a spiritual safety net? It is people who are following Jesus, who are around you, who want the best for you, and you make a covenant with them. You're not going to like this. You make a covenant with them that I won't date anybody that you don't put your stamp of approval on. You go, Pastor, that just sounds really hard. So is a mess. Right? Trust some people to look at your life and go, That's a good man. Pursue him. That's a great woman. Pursue her. But if they do not give you the green light, you're like, "Uh uh-uh. No, because I've got some people watching my life for me who want the best for me. Last point. Don't run from future great relationships. Um, You can't see God's plan for your life from where you're standing. Um, we moved, my wife and I moved in January and, uh, 24 years of junk to go through and I get up in the attic and, uh, 
I literally have everything from when my wife died. I got the clothes they cut off of her when the EMTs got there. The little metal thing they put in the ground before there's a headstone, I got it. I got every card that any person sent to me all in box in my attic. And there's boxes of that stuff. So I call my kids and I say, hey, we're going we're gonna to sort through stuff. I told you all that. And, um, we're going through it and they're, they're like, dad, you don't want it? I don't want any of it. Don't want it. If you want it, take it. It's not going to bother me if you don't want it. And we get to this box that has DVDs in it. And uh, when my wife's funeral happened here at this church, they recorded it and made, burned DVDs of it and gave me a stack of DVDs of the worst day of my life. My kids, uh, my kids look at me and they go, Dad, don't you want these? And I said, no, I don't want them. Why would I want to go back and relive that? I, I, I don't want them. You're welcome to them. You take, you take all this stuff. Because see, for that moment for me, I fell in a hole. And that first day, man, I thought, I'll get out of this hole because I can see the opening. And every day that hole got deeper, 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 deeper. And every day that hole got smaller, smaller, smaller. Listen, until I thought I'd never get out of it. I thought I was doomed. And I know we got children, but I need you to understand. I didn't get to make love with my wife for the last time. So when she died, I thought that was gone. Passion intimacy, all the fun stuff that comes with marriage, all the oneness that comes with marriage. I didn't get a chance to go, oh, this is it, last time. And so I thought I was doomed. What I forgot was that God wasn't in the same hole I was in. He wasn't in the hole at all. And he could see what I could not see. And he knew what I did not know. The same is true for you today. Hear me. I hope you understand that no matter what dug the hole you're in, God's not in it. He's still God. And I'm going to tell you what the, the desire of his heart is. It's to restore to you what sin and Satan have taken from you. I went through all of this and one day, my little girl, and this is a little bit longer than the other services, just hang with me. My daughter comes home and said, Dad, I found the girl you're going to marry. And I was like, you and everybody else I know. And uh, <laughs> she said, no, it's my Sunday school teacher. And I was like, babe, that ain't never going to happen. It did. <laughs> but at the time, it's was like, babe, it's, that ain't never going to happen. I, I ain't dating nobody at this church and creating a big old mess and she said, can I pray for it? I'm a pastor. I can't say no, right? No. You, you, you pray. And, uh, and God did really good this service to this point. God gave me back everything I lost. Listen to me. He restored my soul. restored. Joel 2.25 says what the locusts have eaten, God will give back to you. He gave it back. And he wants to give it back to you. He wants to give it back to you. Give him time because he knows what you need. But listen, listen, everybody gets the what. He knows what I need. He also knows the when. He knows when you need it. 
Would you bow your heads with me? There are three things uh, I want you to walk away with this message from. The first one, uh, the reality that your, your marriage is going to end. Everybody's. And when that day comes that it does end, listen, listen, listen. Please don't let it end and you not have Jesus in your life. I cannot imagine what that journey would be like without Jesus. And if you are here today and you don't know him, you come and you grab Vic by the hand and say, i got to meet him today. Grab Matthew by the hand and say, listen, I need Jesus today. The second thing, all you married couples, all you couples that are contemplating marriage, listen up. It's going to end one day. And what do you need to be doing differently because you now know that? You need to reach over and take your wife's hand a little bit more often. You need to say those words, I love you, babe. I love you. A little bit more than you have been. You need to have a little more fun. Enjoy life a little more. Because one day it's going to end. And we don't always know when that day will be. Third thing, if you find yourself today in a place where your heart is breaking, where you've been touched by the loss of a mate through a divorce or a death, don't go through that alone. Don't go through one of the hardest times in life by yourself. Come let us pray for you. We are your church. We are your church. Father, I pray that you'd give us freedom today to receive what you want to give us. Restoration, healing, wholeness, that you would take what has been broken, put it back together again. Because that's what you do. You are a God who heals. And we are grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Hey, thanks for joining us at The Road. If you'd like more information about things going on at Choctaw Road Baptist Church, visit us at theroad.tv or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theroadcrbc. Have a great week.